You are listening to Fresh Tracks Weekly. Just know that there's also a video portion to this podcast, uh, so you can check that out on Randy Newberg Hunter YouTube channel. It will be posted there every week. This is the third episode of Fresh Tracks Weekly, where we uh, give an update on what we have going on in the office and talk about some things that might affect you as a hunter. So uh, this week on YouTube, we have uh, my hunt in Arizona, late archery uh, elk hunt in Arizona, went up the first two episodes this week, and then the second two episodes go up next week, along with Randy's Utah application strategy video. So if you want to learn about how uh, depressing the odds of you actually drawing a tag in Utah are, check that video out. So over on the subscription platform, Fresh Tracks Plus, Randy is going live on the 22nd at 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time uh, to talk about Utah application strategy. We're also going to be releasing a deer biology video with Mr. Jim Heffelfinger, who uh, I told you that video is coming out last week, but the crew made a liar out of me. Apparently it's not going up till this week, so sorry about that. But anyway, update for the crew. Dale made some uh, some fresh snacks for the office this week. He made the crew lunch, which is pretty awesome. You ready for some fresh snacks? Oh okay, yeah, you bet I'm ready. All right, for some let's fresh go. <laughs> How's the meal, dear? It's just really good. Do I'm a big papa guy. Papa, papa, papa. My my turn next week. Yep. And we haven't done black bear yet, so black bear meatloaf. So last weekend, uh, was able to get out one day and go ice fishing. And uh, I got completely skunked, which is not new for ice fishing. But um, the, the, the part that hurt the worst was my friends uh, caught a whole bunch of kokanee and I caught zero. Um, classic example of early bird gets a worm because I slept in. They were out there early. Uh, yeah, results speak for themselves. I got nothing. But uh, other than that, you know, good times. Michael was out there. Uh, fly fishing, getting those sweet fly fishing shots. So uh, I feel like we need to take a minute and enjoy a few of these clips. Nice. On to the headlines. So a new record was set for wildlife funding this year. The Wildlife and Sports Fish, Re Fish Restoration Program, I struggle to say that for some reason, but uh, anyway, the U.S. Fish Wildlife Service announced that they raised $1.5 billion through the excise tax programs, Pittman Robertson, Dingle Johnson, uh, excise taxes on sporting goods, uh, fishing, hunting related items, $1.5 billion. That's pretty wild. Um, these funds are responsible for a ridiculous amount of conservation efforts across the United States. Uh, a quote from the Fish Wildlife Service's Martha Williams states that the state wildlife agencies dedicate WSFR funds to a variety of conservation projects and programs such as hunting and fishing education, fish and wildlife management, scientific research, habitat restoration and protection, land and water rights acquisition, and hunting and boating access. Everyone benefits from these investments, which have ensured a legacy of wildlife and outdoor opportunities for all. So pretty cool stuff. Um, those funds are responsible for so much every year. It's really cool to see so much money going towards conservation. Along those lines, next story, the Mule Deer Foundation just put out an article summarizing their conservation efforts over the last two years, 
where they put $9.9 million towards conservation efforts and subsequently able to leverage $45.7 million in total to go towards 200 conservation projects across the West. Money has gone towards things such as wildlife research, habitat conservation and restoration, water improvements, improving movement across the landscape by reducing barriers. So amongst many other things. An article in the Wildlife Society publication by Laura Beese stated that several animal welfare groups attempted to block a Bureau of Land Management horse gathering. Basically, these animal welfare groups think that it's inhumane to gather these horses on the landscape. The judge ruled in favor of the BLM. Uh, to give a little context of what this means, the BLM conducts wild horse gatherings every year to reduce the pressure on the range. Um, they use non-lethal methods to remove them from the rangeland. They primarily put these horses into holding facilities. A few of them are adopted in the horse adoption program. Long ago, wild horses and burrows were uh, protected and lethal methods are off the table. You cannot kill uh, these, these wild horses or burrows. Uh, so scientists and managers have set an appropriate, quote, appropriate management level of 27,000 animals, the maximum number um, that can exist on the landscape without damaging vegetation, soil, and other resources. So in 2020, the wild horses reached a peak of 95,000 horses. Um, so this prompted emergency gatherings uh, and in increased gatherings by the BLM. They brought that number down to 86,000 currently, uh, still well above the appropriate management level. So with all that said, these animal welfare groups will attempt to stop these gatherings via litigation, arguing that they are inhumane, while the BLM and the state wildlife agencies argue that it's likely more inhumane to allow these horses to eat and drink themselves out of house and home, and having significant impacts on other wildlife resources and uh, the soil, the ground, everything. In this case, in this instance, in this litigation, the judge ruled in favor of the BLM, allowing them to continue these roundups. I think we're going to have to do a deeper dive into the wild horse thing at some point. Not this episode, but definitely a future one. We're going to do a deep dive into uh, the wild horse issue in the West. So next story. In Iowa, Senate Bill 3134 was introduced recently that if passed will restrict the county conservation boards and Iowa Department of Natural Resources from paying market value for land. Basically, willing sellers would only receive 60 to 80% of their land value uh, from willing sellers. Additionally, the sellers would not be able to deduct the difference of that value uh, as a charitable donation. Those against the bill argue that this is a right, this limits rights of private landowners, uh, how they choose to sell their land. If they prefer to sell it to Iowa DNR or the county, they're only gonna get a fraction of what their land is worth. Basically, it restricts the county and Iowa DNR from acquiring more public land. Uh, the proponents claim that it's about leveling the playing field for Iowa citizens who can't compete with uh, these organizations who have deeper pockets. Similar legislations happened in the past, in 2019, I believe, and it was defeated. So in California, a petition has been floating around for a while to request the Fish and Game Commission to eliminate black bear hunting uh, until the bear management plan is updated. On February 17th, the commission decided if it's gonna grant, deny, or refer it for more review. Um, I'm recording this video before that meeting has occurred, so I don't know what happened yet, but we're gonna keep an eye on it and keep you updated uh, how this moves forward. I don't believe they're making an actual decision on the 17th. It's going to um, just see if 
it's moving forward, if they're gonna review it more, so forth. So we'll keep an eye on that. Last week, a federal judge in the Ninth Circuit Court in California ruled to put gray wolves back on the endangered species list. Federal protections had been removed in October of 2020 uh, after being on the endangered species list for 45 years. Um, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service claimed that the species has exceeded all conservation goals and they gave management control to the states. Uh, groups began to petition the wildlife, Fish and Wildlife Service last year to review this decision. This eventually culminated in the lawsuit brought by the Humane Society of the United States, along with a few other groups, against the Fish and Wildlife Service. The judge's ruling was in part because of the claim that the Fish and Wildlife Service, quote, failed to adequately analyze and consider impacts of partial delisting and historical range loss of an already listed species, end quote. This topic tends to highlight the extremes on both sides. On one side, you have claims that the species, until the species occupies its entire historic range, that it needs federal protection. On the other side, you have people advocating for the extermination of the species. Uh, in reality, once delisted, the management control goes to the states who manage them based on a social and ecological threshold. That threshold is obviously gonna be a hotly debated topic, but it's never gonna be kill them all and it's never gonna be let them run rampant. Um, but we're gonna do a deeper dive. We're gonna get Randy in on this topic. We can't not do a deeper dive on the wolves this week. So wolves, huh? Oh, do we have to revisit <laughs> wolves? I thought we had the whole wolf thing kind of straightened out for the last 10 years, at least in Montana and Idaho. Yeah, but well, I know that you've been called a wolf hugger quite a few times, like big, big yeah. wolf hugger guy. I mean, yeah, I get. The, the, you know, if wolves are one of those things, if you aren't over on this extreme or that extreme, if you want to be in the same middle, the other sides blame you for being the other way. Well, I just got to poke a little fun because I was looking behind you there. And so, um, oh yeah, I'm, <laughs> I was wondering why I was doing that. Yeah. That wolf there was taken in, uh, 2020, uh, while out trying to fill a white-tailed doe tag here in Montana. Yeah, so, but I'm still reading up on all this. Um, we're recording this a little early yeah. for the actual release of the episode, so we just found out about this. Yesterday afternoon, yeah. the judge in California says, guess what? We're going to restore protections under the Endangered Species Act for the gray wolf in the lower 48, but there's some exemptions to that. Right, yeah, I'm still trying to fully grasp like what it means and what it doesn't mean. So I know that you are... You've been involved with this from, for how long ago? 1995 was go. when I went to my first wolf meeting over here at the Montana State University. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, I've been involved longer than I care to be. I was I was five years old, so I wasn't paying too close attention. To oh, I think I was 31 then, Marcus. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so you know, the, a little background for people who don't quite get the whole idea is the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has created some subspecies or, or subpopulations, distinct population segments, I believe is the term they use, where there's the Great Lakes distinct population segment. I think they call the acronym is DPS. There's the Northern Rockies, which is by statute, by a congressional law, is Montana, Idaho, Wyoming. Gotcha. And there's the rest of the West. So this lawsuit, uh, like most of them related to wolves and grizzly bears, the litigants go and find a judge. This judge happened to be in California in the, in the ninth district, or they go to Washington, DC. So, you know this thing you said about 
science-based management. Didn't you throw that out as the yeah, first? Yeah, I think we talked about that a little bit on the, on the first episode. Yeah. yeah. So Versus uh, emotion-based. Yeah. Yeah, the charismatic megafauna. Yeah. So, I, I'm, you know, when I see all the money that's... I, I say that wolves aren't a canine, they're a bovine. And people are like, what do you mean? They're not a cow. I'm like, yeah, they are. They're a cash cow. And so we should call them a bovine, not a canine. But I know the scientists will get mad at me for saying that. But uh, we could spend hours talking about the history. Yeah. But I think we should just touch on some points right now that give some clarity. Right. So Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming, when the populations were introduced here in 95, uh, they were considered a non-essential experimental population under Section 10J of the Endangered Species Act. Okay. So that gave Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming a lot more control, if you want to say, or at least ability to influence how we'd be able to manage them someday. Yeah. And... So we set that once we reached uh, 100 wolves and 10 breeding pairs in all three states for three consecutive years, we'd start handing over state control. And state control is what we call delisting. Right. So that happened in, two, we met that criteria in 2001. I was going to say that was a while ago. <laughs> yeah. So in 2001, we meet the criteria. And Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming start putting together their management plans to be approved, yep. by, approved by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Well, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service approves the plans and says, yeah, let's go. So I, right there's a critical thing I think a lot of people get confused with. They say, ah, the damn feds. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services, who's getting sued in this case? They're the ones who say, we got enough wolves. Get, let the states right. take over. So... Don't be mad at the, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. So anyhow, we end up litigating in Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming for 10 years. Finally, we have a bipartisan bill. Imagine that, bipartisanship. Senator or uh, Congressman Mike Simpson from Idaho, mm -hmm. Senator John Tester from Montana. So a Republican from Idaho, a Democrat from Montana, say... We're going to congressionally delist wolves in these three states because the courts in this whole process, like we just saw yesterday, mm -hmm. are making a mess of this. And the promises made to Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming are not being kept. Senator, or Senator Tester, uh, Representative Simpson, they attach what's called the Simpson-Tester Rider to a piece of legislation, and President Obama signed it. Yep. So, in there it says not subject to judicial review. So, that's why the three states of Montana, Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming are exempt from this ruling yesterday. So, gotcha. things continue the same. So, for Montana, Idaho, Wyoming. Right. So, what are the changes going to be like in the other states? I know that the, the Great Lakes population, right. I assume that's going to just, is that immediately shut down yeah. whatever they had Forget going it. On? I mean, last yeah. year Wisconsin had that season. And yeah. Boy, they they did some some work on the wolves in a very short period of time, and they closed it right away. Yeah. So those state authorities have now been thrown back to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And 
Here's the weird part. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is saying, we don't want the authority. We want the states to have right. it. But we have a judge and some, I call them the drive-by litigators because they make a lot of money doing this. Uh, and I stole that term from Ben Lamb. He, he's the one who first called them that. But that's really what it is. Yeah. So, yeah. Do you, do you want to explain what you mean by that a little bit? Like how, Yeah. So. Uh, so when we say litigators, there's a couple things going on. The Endangered Species Act is extremely complicated. And it uses some certain terms that judges interpret differently than scientists. Which, I don't know why a judge with maybe an art history undergraduate degree and then a law degree yeah. decides their interpretation is more correct than the scientist. But it is what it is. You know, you and I were talking, you said, hey, this is just reality, so we got to figure out how to deal with it. This litigious environment yeah. related to wolves, grizzly bears, mountain lions, whatever. So, yeah. We, well, the thing that I keep going back to is like, as much as we want to focus on science-based management, mm -hmm. especially when it comes down to things like wolves and grizzly bears and lions, people think emotionally about them, and mm -hmm. which, you know, for some things I feel like you can, you can reason with them. Mm -hmm. But with those three species, and maybe a few others in there too, it's just irrational thinking and they just think purely based on emotion. Mm -hmm. And you get millions of people basically that you get these like, you know, big celebrities out there saying like, right. look what Montana and Idaho are doing to the wolves. They're killing all the wolves. And it's yeah. like, and there's just, it's, a, it's interesting because like you want to not think about it, but when it becomes a critical mass like that, you have to think about the emotion-based mm -hmm. people's views. And like it's unfortunate from a scientist's mind, mm -hmm. from these like state agencies or even yeah, the Fish Wildlife Service, I'm sure it's unfortunate that you can't just reason with these people with science because they're focused on how cute, cuddly mm -hmm. these animals look. They don't know the whole story. So it's just, it's hard. It's and I mean, when you get, because in social media, people can just like put out the story that they want to tell and somebody just sees like they're killing all the wolves. Yeah. And, and like, even like just looking through some of these articles that people have released, it's like a lot of the languages, you know, they, they are now protected again when they were, and they're un but they remain unprotected in Montana and right. Idaho and Wyoming. And it's like, what do um, you mean by, what does the term unprotected mean? Right. It's just like, okay, they're under the state control. Like, yes, we, we hunt and manage them, but the, the states aren't trying, they don't want to kill all of the wolves. Like they're, right. they're trying to, they're keeping viable populations going. I right. mean, there's definitely places where they're trying to knock them back down because of social reasons and a lot, yeah. I mean, it's a, a lot of, a lot of times based on the stakeholders that in, are in the area, whether it's livestock producers or hunters or whatever, they're trying to balance out the demands of their stakeholders in those areas. But then the guys in California or, or you know, that's, a, that's right. just the example that always comes no, to mind. It, it, they Cal just like, that's, a, that's the right example because California is where the Ninth Circuit Court is yeah. seated yeah. in San Francisco. And they usually go to that district because the appellate courts are very favorable. They've found that. So it's okay to say that, Marcus. <laughs> yeah. It, it, no, it's, it's where just... it happens. Uh, so we have non-scientists making interpretations of the law. Mm -hmm. And the law that they are interpreting is the Endangered Species Act. Yeah. So people will say, well, the law is the law. No. 
the law is always this area of interpretation. Right. So they take science and they overlay their view of the law. Sometimes they get overturned. So one of the questions will be, will the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service appeal this decision? And if so, then where will it end up? Yeah. So it's been this ping pong game for so long yeah. that people are tired of it. We know that there are people on the fringes making money at it. We know they are gaining membership and attracting attention on it. And in the middle are the people who got to live with the consequences on the ground. Right. And that's the thing that I think is frustrating to me is the blanket decision making across a giant landscape when it's like, and I, and personally, I think wolves are cool. Honestly, like I think they're cool. I'm happy to hunt them as well though. Mm -hmm. And like, I I like seeing them on the landscape personally. So I might get some hate for that, but I think they're actually a cool animal. I I, I think, but yeah, it's just like when you are managing them on a giant landscape, it's like, okay, well, yeah, they're very highly populated in area X, but then there's mm-hmm. very few in area Y, but then that everybody right. freaks out and thinks that we're, you know, driving them to extinction. And yeah. it's like that in today's day and age, that's just not going to happen. And the, like the, the, there's too many, too many people who have eyes on it and have, you know, with all the state agencies, they know what's going on. Right. They have a good feeling for, mm-hmm. and then, I mean, sometimes you push, like, I think, I guess that's, Part of it too is the optics of some of the, the what the state agencies have done with, in terms of like hunting seasons and what they've allowed mm-hmm. creates negative optics on it, and right. then that's what right. gets used against us mm-hmm. to. I I think it's make pretty safe to like say this. that the aggressive approach Montana and Idaho have taken the last few years. It, whether you agree with it or disagree with it, you can't be surprised that there's a backlash. And a pushback. Right. That's right. just reality. So, you you, you got to deal with realities. So these things that you're talking about, we're we're gonna be stuck with with all these species because some of the language that these courts are focusing on is saying you can't make distinct population segments because in effect you're not considering the term historic range well in that terms elk are also on the brink of extinction there you go we should probably list elk on indian uh, species so (laughs) when you say historic range what's historic range for for wolves is it indiana is it missouri is is it kansas Where, where where do you do that so the the court depending on who that judge is Mm -hmm. or judges are are making some determinations of how they see what that language should mean. Even though probably at the time when the act was passed, Congress was not thinking that the historic range of wolves did include Cleveland, Ohio at one time. Or it did, it actually included the Central Valley of California. It included all kinds of Denver. Right, and that's like, I mean, it's just like, what, humans are on the landscape now. That's not going to change. Like, you know, if we all moved away, then Mm -hmm. sure, then wolves could live everywhere. But that's just like the way that social tolerance works, it it won't work. You can't have them everywhere. And I think people fail to 
grasp that concept. I don't right. know. It's just... So looking over the course of my 25 years of being involved in this and being involved in Grizzly Bears, here's where I see the real problem we're having is you make promises to local regional stakeholders that we're going to give you management authority if you meet certain criteria. Okay, you meet those criteria and it's lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit. The Endangered Species Act ends up being a four-letter word because of the lost trust. Why, if, if, if you told your child, you know, if you get straight A's, we're going to go on a good summer vacation this summer. Mm -hmm. They get straight A's and you say, ah, well, not this summer. I, I, I mean, that's a dramatic right. example. No, but, yeah, I get it. Yeah. But none of these management plans came about just because it was a great 100% unanimous consent. There was negotiation and compromise right. everywhere. And the people living on the landscape have made some significant compromises in the, under the premise that you would get management authority. Mm -hmm. So you keep doing that, you keep doing that, you move the stakes, you move the stakes. I think the Endangered Species Act has been a valuable piece of of conservation in our country. Right. <clears throat> but it's been heavily abused because of some other federal laws that allow it to be abused. And here's the long-term problem. I, I can say for myself, I would, based on the current structure of how the ESA works, yeah. as much as I consider myself fully committed to conservation and wild places and wild things, I would never again agree to a reintroduction of a species in my state, it might happen, but it would be against my wishes because I cannot trust that the system will work according to what's represented to me. Yeah. So think about all the conservation opportunities that are, are going to be lost because some drive-by litigators can make a small fortune or a large fortune yeah. raising money and litigating and getting their legal fees reimbursed for higher than what they incurred. It's a business model for them. Yeah. No. And by letting this happen, the long-term future of conservation of species and conservation of landscapes is what's gonna pay the price. Yeah, it's disappointing that it's been abused because I feel like, I mean, I feel like the ESA came out of a lot of good mm -hmm. intentions. Right. But yeah, like you say, it's been abused, but um, yeah, right. it's hard because like it, it has done a lot of good. Right. Bald eagles, it, peregrine falcons, yeah, I think American alligator. It's the innate, like the way it's enabled people to abuse it sucks, but people should view the ESA when an animal is delisted, that is... Ooh. A reason to celebrate like yeah. you should be excited that wolves were delisted de that mm -hmm. means that they like this rigorous process we've decided that they are now off of the endangered species list they're mm -hmm. not endangered anymore that is a success story we should right. celebrate that not be oh they're unprotected everyone's gonna kill them all now it's like mm -hmm. no 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 we have checks and balances to make sure that happens like yeah. Getting off of the endangered species list is the goal of the Endangered Species Act. Like right. you want to get off the list, and so that is a success. And it's yeah. just been abused, and now it's just yeah. yeah and it sucks. The, the hypocrisy is so apparent if you think about it. 
the litigators, as quick as the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service makes the determination to put something on the list, the litigators are like, yes, that's the best science in the world. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, the USGS, all the federal agencies, the state agencies, boy, you, that's great science because it put them on the list. Mm -hmm. But the same groups that go through this rigorous process you talk about, when they try to delist a species, all of a sudden their science is a bunch of junk. Right. You people don't know what you're talking about. Come on. And then further hypocrisy, not too far northwest of us here, we lost the last caribou in the lower 48. Yeah. Where were these groups then? Mm -hmm. They were looking at their marketing analysis that says caribou aren't warm and fuzzy and don't raise any money. Hell with them. Let them die. If there's ever a species in my lifetime that should have been protected under, under the Endangered Species Act, it was caribou in the lower 48. And there's not a single one of these litigators who gave a damn about those caribou. It's pretty telling. So, yeah. you want to talk about hypocrisy? And I think that's part of where people get frustrated is, come on, don't, don't tell us you're concerned about the species or you're concerned about the habitat necessary for that species, you're concerned about your pocketbook, your bonuses, your control of the system. Yeah. And it's resulting in huge pushbacks. It, yeah. It's resulting in lost conservation opportunities in the future. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, but uh, in terms of right now with this decision, mm -hmm. What do you see in the future? I mean, will they be able to appeal that or yeah. is that, okay. This decision could be appealed and who knows what will happen when it gets appealed. But when you work up the federal court system, mm -hmm. the ninth district, which we're in the ninth district, mm -hmm. Wyoming, fortunately, is in a different district, but okay. the ninth is the largest geographic district of all the appellate courts. They file cases there because the judges on the ninth circuit are known to be more favorable to their positions. Yeah. So who knows where it'll end up, but for the time being, until it's appealed and overturned, the any place other than the three states of Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming, well, and Alaska, uh, the rest of the lower 48, you're back trying to figure out what do we do here? Well, <sighs> we'll have to keep an eye on it. Yeah, I, I'm going to take another sip of coffee to get my blood pressure even higher yeah. because I've got so many emails today of people asking me, what does this mean? <laughs> Thanks for watching this week's episode. If you want to reach out, you can email me at weekly at freshtracks.tv and I'll try to check that regularly so we can update people. If you have any news that you want us to know that we should be covering, let me know. I'd love to see it. Thanks for watching.